But in the midst of all this, he would often go to Warm Springs, Georgia. Because there in Warm Springs, Georgia was the Warm Springs Foundation. Something he had founded. And it was, it, it existed for rehabilitation for those who suffered from polio. So while he was dealing with these huge global issues that literally shaped the whole world, he was also looking after this foundation. His cabinet would often travel with him. And in the midst of their very important global work, he was watching over the care of these patients. He would spend Thanksgiving with them. He would often go and have meals with them and in the summer would swim with them. Why would this powerful man, this man who had so many important problems to solve, spend time with these who were sick and care for that particular project? Well, in 1921, when Roosevelt was 39 years old, he was diagnosed with polio. It was a secret that the American press kept for the most part, at least, the ramifications of that. And the reason he cared about the Warm Springs Foundation is because the people he was caring for were dealing with the exact same problem that he was dealing with. I think about that when I think about why we gather. We gather as a church. We come here on Sunday mornings and we uh, gather for 242 groups, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, all types of reasons that we get together. And we don't get together because we're a group of perfect people. We don't get together because uh, we are, are those who have it all figured out and that everything is okay in our life and we're just going to gather up all of the perfect people and become the church. No, it's the opposite. We are people with challenges. We are people with, with great personality disabilities. We are people with great problems. All of us have our stuff to deal with. We have our junk. We have our, our dysfunctional and, and dysfunctional relationships and our problems. And we're not staying in those problems. We're moving through those problems. But it is occurring because we are in community. The very community that Roosevelt needed was a community that was of people who were like him. I mean, that's how the church is. Today, my, my message is called Wounded Healers. We're going, we're going to look through James chapter 5, and we're going to see that all of us are healers. All of us are healers. We're, we're, we're people who bring healing to others. But we don't do that out of perfection. We don't do that because we have everything figured out. We are healers. We are wounded healers because the same God who helped us is helping us to spread his compassion and love and assistance to those who need the same thing we've received. Here's my, my first point today. Write it down. Healing comes through community. Healing comes through community. And we'll go back to today's text that Tracy read earlier, James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. This is a very shocking scripture to us. We often, because we understand the concept, 
of the priesthood of believer. We know we don't have to go through a priest or a go-between. We can confess our sins straight to God. We know that through the book of Hebrews and many other passages. But there's something powerful and something fulfilling when we actually confess our sins to one another and when we pray for one another. And it says, do this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This idea is that it's in the community. It's in in interaction with other people. It's within relationships that healing actually comes. This is what happens. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, Last week in one of the services, I was talking about James and I said, in the Hebrew, this word means, guys, I got the wrong language. It was actually the Greek. Now here's the deal. The Bible is written in two languages, Hebrew or Greek. So I have a 50% chance of always being right. And so because James did write this to Jewish people, Hebrew got in my head. But from that sermon last week and this sermon today, if you look at the Greek text, and I won't I won't go through those details with you now. You you can double check me, those of you with your Greek lexicon. The structure of the scripture says this, is that the prayer of a righteous person, you know, God hears that all the time. Righteous means someone who's right with God. It's not a perfect person, but a righteous person. Uh, The prayer of someone who's right with God is, is effective, but it's very effective when you pray for someone else. Now this is, this is powerful. This is why God wants us to be in relationship. Because when we pray for someone else, there's very much, there's, there's almost a different type of power when we're praying for someone else. Now, I, I see this very practically in my life. I, I pray every day, first of all, for my family, for my spouse, for my kids, you know, for my mom, for my, my, my extended family. I pray for them first. I honestly pray for my family before I pray for your families. Does that make me a bad person? No, no. Actually, there's biblical kind of structure to see that's actually an appropriate thing to do. But here's what I've discovered. This, this, is, this is wild. Is that I don't pray sometimes with the amount of faith for my family that those of you have prayed for my family. Let me explain that more clearly. Some of you have prayed prayers for my spouse and for my kids, and you have believed God for things in them that I didn't have the faith to believe God for. It's not because I love them less. It's because I love them so much, it's a blind spot in my life. Are you with me on this? And sometimes I've just had people just talk about my family and and just say, man, God can do it. God can come through for him. God can come through for her. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. And there is something powerful and effective when we start praying for others. We begin to move past our biases and move past the things that we know. And and we begin uh, to to pray for someone else because we can pray with a perspective that is is powerful, that that doesn't carry all the baggage and doesn't carry all the baggage of, of, of of us being, Uh, of our interactions with our family. So here's the thing. If you have trouble praying, like, and you don't know what to pray about, you say, I pray for five minutes and I've run out of things to pray about. Start doing this. Simply write down, or in my case, I use this on on my phone. I type in my notes. Every time someone asks me to pray about a situation or every time I use 
the custom here in the South. Brother, I'm praying for you. Praying for you, brother. Praying for you, sister. When I actually write that down, and it's not just, uh, just general greeting, it's an actual, it's an actual directive. Guys, I could pray all day long. I, 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 in fact, I've had, to, I've had to organize my prayer list and pray for some stuff on Monday, some stuff on Tuesday, some stuff on Wednesday, because I don't have time to pray about all the things I need to pray about. And it all started when I started praying 10 things a day. That's it, 10 things a day. And the Lord has expanded all these lists that pray for all kinds of things now. This is what I'm telling you. I'm not trying to, I, I, I'm trying to open the mind of your possibility. I'm not trying to brag about my prayer life because it has a long ways to go still. But I'm saying this is that when you start praying for other people, watch what God starts to do. I, it's amazing what God starts to do when you start praying for other people. Here's another thing that's, that's so powerful. When someone asks you to pray about something or, or you know to pray about something and you actually follow up on it and the next time you see them, you say, how is your aunt in Idaho? I mean, you look, the shock on people's face. They're like, you remember? Like you actually prayed? Like this isn't just like, you weren't just being polite, you actually prayed? Yes. The reason we do that, because when we are, when we are in community, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, especially for somebody else. This is why the enemy wants to isolate us from community. This is a crazy part of it. And I've seen this in my life and I've seen it in countless people's lives is this. The very thing we need when we're broken, hurt, embarrassed, when we've made a mistake, the very thing, the very thing we need which is community, is the very thing we avoid. Hey, we've all done it. I'm not throwing stones here. I'm just letting you know. I, when stuff is going bad in our life, we just kind of shrink back. And I understand there's really practical reasons. We don't want the small talk. We just, sometimes we can't stomach the small talk. Sometimes we're not ready to reveal. I understand there's always good reasons for that, but also those, those good reasons the enemy takes advantage of and he is, he is isolating Christians, getting them away from the flock, getting them away from the community. And what happens when that occurs? You're vulnerable. You're easy pickings. To, to the, the, the devil has a, he, he is like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. Who does he devour? He devours the people who are alone. And so when you're going through a tough time, that tendency to draw back and not be in the community, do the opposite, step in, step into the community. Be, be a little more sacrificial in, in, in showing up to the, the places that God has created for you. Because it's in those places that healing often occurs because they are full of wounded healers. Carl Jung came up with this. He was a psychologist in, in the middle 20th century. And then Henry Nouwen wrote a book called Wounded Healer where he took us back to the original, original assignment for God. Jung was saying this as often, those in the mental health field help people with the same problems that they have. This is not an original thought. It started off with scripture because this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says. He, being God, comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We are part of a community of Bible teachers, small group leaders, 
counselors, spiritual directors, uh, pastors who are wounded people. But together we are wounded healers. And God is using the community to bring healing to us all. Being in the academic world, I've met some brilliant people intellectually. One of my mentors for, from years ago, I, I would go out to eat with him often. One of the smartest guys I've ever met. And he would look at his menu and then ask me, Aaron, what are you going to have today? And so I would usually answer him with something like, you know, kale salad with almonds on it and vinaigrette dressing. You're laughing at me. Come on. Okay, so I'd say whatever, double cheeseburger, extra bacon, whatever it might have been. The waiter or waitress would come by a couple of minutes later, and he would just say, I'll have the same thing Aaron's going to have. I never really knew why, and to this day I haven't discovered why. I don't know if he was just too smart to read the menu. I don't know if it was just too basic for him to understand. I don't know if it was too much pressure to make another decision that day. But I'll know that I know this about him, and I know this about you, and I definitely know this about me. Every single person is quirky, right? Every single one of us is just a little bit off. Every single one of us is dysfunctional. I, I've met brilliant people who have no common sense. I've met creative people, this is going to surprise you, who are unorganized. I've met some of the most administrative people in the world who lack the social intelligence to know that all of their rules and policies uh, have made them unlikable and nobody wants to invite them to the coffee shop. Here's my point today, and it's the second point. Every human needs healing. Every human needs healing. Come on, let's be honest. Let's be real. Let's quit hiding. Even when they accomplish the spectacular, that's the sub point there. If you become friends with the talented, the powerful, the esteemed, even the anointed, you will learn how strange and quirky they really are. Every human being can be remarkable, but every human is flawed. And we mistakenly think if someone is remarkable in one area, that they're going to be flawless in all areas. But there's something that the Bible talks about a lot. It's called sanctification. And guys, sanctification doesn't happen instantly. It doesn't happen as a work of a one-time experience. Sanctification is a process. And what sanctification is, it means as we live out our faith, we become more and more like Jesus, the ideal perfect man. We don't become, like, we don't become Jesus, but we become like him. And we won't fully become like him until we see him face to face. That means that as we, we continue to walk with the Lord and he just works on the attitudes of our heart, the, the words of our mouth, our choice of words, he, he's shaping us. And just when we think we're getting kind of more like Jesus, then our whole life is altered, right? Because for every phase, there's a new challenge. Every phase of life, there's a new challenge for you. So right when you think you've have it figured out, and that's probably pride anyway, then life changes. And in this new phase of life, everything gets turned upside down and you have the challenge of sanctification once again. Here's one of the most helpful scriptures in the Bible. It's from our text today. today. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a human being as we are. 
Now, if you don't know who Elijah is, this guy did amazing things. You can read about him in 1 Kings. This guy did incredible miracles, and then he passed on a double portion of his anointing to his mentor, Elisha, who again did all types of signs and wonders and miracles. And there's this, this tendency to think, oh, Elijah, he is like different and special and unique and none of us could ever measure up. But here's what the scripture says. The scripture says, Elijah was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. So even even the, the weather submitted to God through the prayers of Elijah. Verse 18, then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. These, these are example, examples of the miraculous things that God did through Elijah. But we, we, we look at the miracles and think, well, I'm not like him. But what, the, what does the scripture say there in verse 17? Elijah was a human being as we are. Sometime this afternoon, go and read 1 Kings 18 and 19. And in that, you'll see that after one of the greatest miracles that Elijah had, he went into a time of doubt. Right after he left Mount Carmel, he went into isolation and he experienced doubt. And he experienced what we would probably call depression today, where he just like, he said like, God, what's worth it? Is it really worth it? God, can I really go on? You could even say, you could even read into, maybe he was suicidal. He even said, take my life, God. I don't have a purpose anymore. This was a man just like us. And he faced doubts and depression and wanted to even quit. Man, we've been there before, guys. We've been there before. So what did God do? There's several things God did. But one of the things God did for Elijah is he gave him a community. He gave him friends. He gave him people. Look at chapter 19, verse 18. This is one of the answers God gave him. Maybe we'll talk about the whole story on another day. It says, I will leave 7,000 in Israel. That was a small number in comparison to the population of that day. Every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Baal was a god. And this is, this is what the Lord is saying to Elijah. I've got a number of people like you. I, I have a remnant I've reserved. There's a community. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't stop believing. Don't believe the lie. This is what we always, often do. We're like, nobody has it as hard as me. Right? Nobody has it as hard as me. No one is challenged like I'm challenged. No one understands what I'm going through. And then in, in ministry, we, we might think, oh, if I don't keep volunteering or if I don't, if I don't keep giving myself to this ministry, it's all gonna fall apart because I'm the only one dedicated. I'm the only one committed. I'm the only one who shows up when it's rough. I, I, oh, woe is me, woe is me. And we fail to see that God has created a community. There are people like you. There are people around you. There are people that God has designed for you to be in community with. I mean, it could be through the stuff we offer at this church. That's why we offer 242 groups, men's, women's Bible studies. That's why we have the welcome team because one of the secrets of the welcome team, what's fun about being on the welcome team is not 
just the, the service to the church, but it's the meetings beforehand. When you meet with Tracy and you have prayer requests and you're in community, all this stuff is created for you. But you live in Hendersonville and Gallatin and Goodlettsville. Guys, they have so many chain restaurants created for you. You don't need the church. You can get together with people that you know, that you love, that you're in community with. I mean, we have not just a Starbucks, we have four Starbucks, right? There's, there's chances together. There's chances to connect with people. And part of the sign of your healing is to be in relationship with people. The very thing you want to avoid is the very thing you need. So take out your phone this afternoon, text someone and go to Dunkin' Donuts, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Next Hang out with somebody. God's created the community as part of your healing. Here's my last point today. We are called to turn believers back to the Lord. Write it down. It's our last point. And Beth, you can come on up. We are called to turn believers back to the Lord. Here's what verse 19 says. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, Let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Right there, it's not saying that our works cover our sins. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that if we turn someone back to the Lord, think of all the sin we're preventing to happen. I mean, isn't that amazing to think that? If we turn someone back to the Lord, Think of all that is occurring. We're now up to probably three generations of people who don't know the Ten Commandments, the majority of our culture now. Think about when you're working with an Awana child and they learn the Ten Commandments. Think of the sin you're preventing. Think of the heartache you're, you're, that, that, that you're preventing. If I had time, I would talk to you about some of the statistics of the role of preventative education does to reduce the amount of crime in our society. And think about in the, in the life of our, of our spiritual development. And so it's not just about learning the 10 commandments or learning the scripture. It's about changing the heart. And what happens when, we're in relation, when we are in relationship with each other is we prevent sin from happening for other people. Tough conversations occur, Right? Stories are known. We learn people's names, then we learn their stories, then we learn their hearts. And we're able to say, hey, I'm concerned. I'm concerned in an appropriate setting, done in an an appropriate way. We can question people and we can say, hey, hey, where are you? You Are you spending time with your kids right now? What's going on? How much more money do you want to make And, and not know your kids? That's an important conversation that could happen in community. If, if, if we're seeing something that looks off in a relationship with, with people who aren't married, we, we can loving, lovingly confront that somebody, and confront's maybe not even the right word, lovingly start a dialogue with somebody and try to prevent an affair. If people are spending wildly way above their means and and we're, we have the depth of relationship to start a conversation and ask them, why, why are you spending so much money? You're going to end up bankrupt five years from now. What, what, what's going on? Obviously, these are sensitive things to do. I don't want to create a spiritual Gestapo here. And, I, and there's all types of stories running through my head how, how, how that can get 
how that can get complicated. But let's not let fear keep us from being the people God wants us to be. Let's not let fear of offense keep us from having crucial conversations. Because it's love. It's love that causes us, causes us to ask that second question, to plan that extra meal, to be to invest in relationships with one another so that that a crucial conversation can happen because we can't have conversations with people if we don't invest in them at other times. You can't just say, hey, I need to talk to you about, you know, this issue in your life. And they're like, who are you? No, it's someone that you know. It's someone that you spend time with. It's someone that you know cares about your heart. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Thank you for your attention today. I hope the Lord used this message. I hope he did. It was a compressed message from from what I planned. Lord, let truth, truth, truth just sink into the heart. Let lies leave. Let lies leave in the name of Jesus. We pray that all lies would leave in the name of Jesus. You're such a good people. Thank you for, thank you for your friendship to me. Thank you for your friendship to my wife, Beth, and her years of, of leading you in worship. I share God's word with you. Not to point out who you are not, but to point you who God is making you into. Father, we pray that the truths of James chapter five would shape our community. That Lord, let us not just be a people who gather to hear sermons, but God, make us a spiritual family. Teach us how to relate to one another. Teach us how to grow in loving kindness. Teach us how to turn a brother and sister from sin and cover a multitude of sin. Keep us, teach us how to do preventative ministry so that our teenagers would not rebel against you in college. Teach us, Lord, how to, how to live our lives in such a way that we honor you, not for our pride, but God, uh, uh, for the sake of your name and your greatness. And we love you and we praise you for it.